the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as uh, we roll into part two of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, our weekly roundtable. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome back to you as well. Thank you, Tom. And he's uh, back to, to frequent visits, uh, legislative liaison for Convention of States Project and author Wesley Whitaker. Wes, welcome back to you as well. Thank you, Tom. Good to be with you. Um Moving on, a few thousand Michigan Republican activists will kick off the process of selecting GOP candidates for statewide office next Saturday, April 23rd, for this year's midterm election in uh, Michigan, um, considered a battleground state. And and I mentioned this in the in the last uh, in the first part of the of the program. With the exception of the gubernatorial primary election in August, Michigan decides which candidates for key statewide offices make it onto the November ballot at party conventions. The state is among only a handful that use conventions in lieu of primaries. By law, both parties must hold conventions in the fall to officially nominate candidates for the November general election, but both parties have chosen to hold earlier events endorsing candidates for Attorney General, Secretary of State, Michigan Supreme Court, State Board of Education, and University Boards before making the picks official at the fall nominating conventions. I think we talked about this last week or maybe the week before. Do these early nominating conventions take voters out of the nominating process, except in this case for uh, for governor? Hmm. Well, well, they still have to vote for the candidates that are nominated. The voters still have a job to do. But, but uh, a lot of these folks are chosen by the conventions, not by the voters in August. I mean, the gubernatorial thing is yeah. another story, but the it, it is kind of a curious process because, as I say, it really is, is, but this makes is official what they're going to do in August. Well, a good example is the a good example is the attorney general race. Yeah, I mean, there's there's debate within the GOP right now whether you're not a Leonard person or a the Bernard yeah. person. And I think that that's to let the party decide that. that I don't agree with that at all. 
by the way, <laughs> this this is very parenthetical, but today is Tom Leonard's birthday. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll wish him happy birthday. Happy birthday, Tom. <laughs> Best of luck. <laughs> I, I don't know if he'll be getting a, a, any uh, any birthday gifts this weekend, but uh, it's going to be interesting for the very reason Wes just mentioned. Yeah. Well, guys, have you uh, pondered why this process takes place at the state party? What are the benefits and what are the negatives? That, well, that it, process has been decided long time ago. It gives and it, it works well. It gives the nominated, for the people who don't win. It it gives the uh, the nominee more time to organize their campaign to raise money. Um, to start really campaigning against um, often an incumbent. Yeah, it just gives you more time to organize a campaign and and not uh, uh, not have to worry about. In effect, what would be kind of like a primary style campaign. So it it does give you but, a chance to focus on the the other the other party. But both parties have equal advantages in the process. Because the process is the same for both of them. If they wanted to change it, they can decide among themselves to change it. Or the people can referendum the change. My objection is that the party is involved at all. Uh, I don't like when the party injects itself into the process. The people mm -hmm. are supposed to vote for the people that they want to represent them in every yes. office. Yeah. Well, and... Party, the primary mm -hmm. process is the part that addresses that that long-standing issue of feeling like you got to pick the lesser of two evils. Yeah. You know, the primary yeah. process gives you a much bigger field of people to pick from generally. Well, look at the but GOP governor's uh, uh, primary. There are 12 people. Yeah. But but you can do the same thing at the state convention because after the first and second candidate are nominated, the the chair will call for other other nominations. You can still nominate people until you decide to close nominations in the uh, the slate or whatever. Yeah, so, but it's still it's still the whole process. <laughs> you still don't like it, huh? Yeah, if the party wants to be involved in, like, selecting Supreme Court justices or trustees for the universities, things like that that the general population really doesn't pay attention to, I can understand that because there you've got people that are involved in politics and they understand who these people are. They get, you actually get a chance to meet them at the convention. But to pick the attorney general... I, I'm sorry. That's that's a bridge too far for me. We don't, we we shouldn't be injecting the party into that process because then it becomes who's got the most money and who's got the most connections. I who's agree. Uh, it takes a lot of it takes a lot of preparation. You have to be good to get through the process. It's not for weaklings. It's for people with energy and enthusiasm, and with uh, support. Otherwise. Uh, just have and think about if people had to put all of these processes together, we would still be as ignorant about politics as ever. But what 
when the party bring these people, they do give a face to them and their background and stuff like that. So there's a lot of research that's going on. Like, for example, Leonard can criticize DiPerno and, and bring out all of the things that DiPerno's been involved in and uh, bring it to the public and the public can decide. If, we, if the public didn't get that, they would never know. You know, one other thought, though, that I've, I've seen recently in terms of the divided nature of politics we have now is that maybe the, the, high, the role of primaries that has grown up in the last 50 years has made us more divided. Where you, In a primary election, you tend to get, uh, in terms of voters that turn out, liberal Democrats on one hand and conservative Republicans on the other, and they will nominate folks who are their favorite candidate but who may not be able to win. At the party conventions, you tend to get people who are nominated who are more likely to be a little bit more to the middle and more likely to be able to win and, and maybe be willing to work with the other side. So at least one interesting argument I've come across is that for all the virtues the primaries have, and we've got a lot, that they may actually increase divisiveness between the parties because of who turns out and who doesn't turn out to vote in primary elections. And the conventions for as insider as they are, are really aimed more at winning an election than serving, at least in most cases, maybe I'm not sure this weekend, in most cases it's aimed at winning elections rather than serving somebody's ideological, uh, you know, picking somebody's ideological favorite. I'll bet you all three of us are on the, all four of us are on this table, can pick out the deficiencies that Tom Leonard has. You can pick out the deficiencies uh, based upon what has already been put, you can pick out the deficiencies for the pinhole, and you can decide what you believe. And uh, and a lot of this stuff is only half truth, so you have to wade through that. <laughs> that's what makes a good. Uh, that's what makes a, a a good voter. He has to wade through it. Not, not as any but kind of. A, need, not as any. Need kind an honest of a, and fair press to do that. Not as any yeah. kind of an endorsement or anything, but I did uh, post for his uh, birthday today a birthday greeting with a photograph of uh, <laughs> Henry, you and Paul and me and Tom, oh, and Tom Leonard oh, in like the that. studio um, from one of the times that uh, Tom came in person uh, to the studio for uh, an interview, or maybe he... Maybe he was part of armchair politics one week. Um, anyway, here's another uh, sort of process piece. Michigan Democrats, who for decades argued their state should be one of the first to vote for the party's nominee for president, will get their chance to make the case again. Only this time, it's a wide-open race for everyone. On Wednesday evening, the party's National Rules and Bylaws Committee voted to toss the existing calendar, which has seen Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and Nevada go first in recent election years in favor of letting them and any other interested states apply to be among the early state-nominating contests. Politico and the Des Moines Register were among those reporting the change with Iowa's first-in-the-nation caucuses perhaps most likely to be moved out of the order. Michigan is known to be among those states interested in joining the early state roster, 
with U.S. Representative Debbie Dingell, Democrat from Dearborn, part of a group that has been leading the effort. Years ago, it was her fellow Democratic National Committee member, the late Senator Carl Levin, who insisted Michigan was more representative of the nation as a whole and should go earlier than some of those uh, other states. Didn't Michigan Democrats lose or almost lose delegates to the National Convention in past efforts to go early in the nomination process, uh, Paul? Yes, yes we, that's, I, think, I think they lost it one year and almost lost it a second time. That's correct. Uh, because, of, because of when we scheduled our, our early primary uh, in violation of the party rules. Yeah, no, I think that did happen. I've forgotten which years they were right now. But I, that, that, that sounds right. I can't even remember who was running. I I just I remember uh, the issue coming yeah, up. Um, I'm going to say 1988, but I, again I, I'd have to double check to make sure my dates are right. But I that does sound correct. That would have been Reagan one. Not, not Reagan one, but the Bush one. Caucus and Jesse Jackson and others for for the Democrats. And, and, That's, yeah. and Bush. Yeah. But, but you know, no matter year. how we, no matter again, how we frankly, from, the, from the point of view of Michigan, it'd be a lot of fun if if we end up being first. It would be a lot of fun to get the attention and see all the candidates and so forth. Uh, the the only slight advantage for some of those other states, like New Hampshire, or Iowa, is that they they they're they're a lot easier for what's called retail politics, where the candidates can go to little local coffee houses and not rely on big media buys to to sell their ideas. But, as I say, if it came to Michigan, it would be a lot of fun to see it. Why can't we have well, all the primary elections on the same day? Well, there was, there was a talk one time about doing a regional primary. and We do a little bit of that, you know, where you have a Midwestern collection of states and a Southern collection of states. And well, the Super Tuesday uh, events. What? I'm sorry? The Super Tuesday events. Yeah, yeah. But they have a pretty good collection. There's a... And I get off the top of my head, I, I couldn't give you the whole list, but there's a pretty good batch of states on Super Tuesday that have become kind of a, not quite a national primary, but a regional primary of sorts. But, well, you know, we I all just make it a one, one big grand Super Tuesday and get rid of all the drawn-out political season, because that gets yeah. tedious. I agree. Uh, no matter how it comes out, guys, in the last analysis, human beings know how to adapt. It could be either A or B. And as time passes, we learn to live with, if it's B, we learn to live with B. Yeah. And if it's A, we learn to live with A. So these, these petty issues that we have in here won't change the process at all. It's always going to be those who have the favorable outcome after an election. Well, you know, the, the advantage uh, of having a couple of small states early is, is only that some fairly lesser-known candidates can, can, can get in the game. I mean, if, if, if you don't have a lot of money and you're not a, a well-known governor or senator, you can still make a run at it in New Hampshire and, or Iowa. And sometimes sure. if you're successful, all of a sudden you get, you get well-known. That was true for Jimmy Carter, I suppose. Uh, maybe Michael Dukakis as well for the Democrats. Uh, and uh, 
frankly, maybe even you could even argue maybe Donald Trump in his own way. Uh, hey, we have to take a, uh, a short break, but we'll be back with more armchair politics on the Tom Sumner program right after this. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You are, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. 
But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Continuing uh, with Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program with our uh, roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Wes Whitaker. Russia this week formally protested the U.S.'s ongoing shipment of weapons to Ukraine, sending a diplomatic note to the State Department warning of unpredictable consequences should the support continue, according to two U.S. officials and another source familiar with the document. The note was sent earlier this week uh, as the U.S. was preparing to announce that it would be sending an additional $800 million military aid package to uh, Ukraine. The Washington Post first reported on the document. The U.S. has for the first time agreed to provide Kiev with the uh, types of high-power capabilities some Biden administration officials viewed as too great of an escalation risk a few short weeks ago, including 11 uh, MI-17 helicopters, 18 155-millimeter uh, howitzer cannons, and 300 more switchblade drones. A source familiar with the Russian diplomatic note said it was expected that Moscow would protest the shipments, and it was still unclear whether it means Russia will change its behavior in any way, but this person acknowledged that the note could signal a more aggressive Russian posture against the U.S. and NATO as the war drags on. Is the momentum building too uh, too fast to avoid a world war? Hmm. It is worrisome. It really is. Um, I I don't think it's going to happen, but it is worrisome. And, and if these, these things can get out of control pretty quickly. Uh, yeah. yeah, particularly when you have a man as determined as Putin is. Uh, it doesn't matter. He never smiles. He portrays himself as an alpha plus. And Trump, uh, Biden, looks like he's <laughs> part of all of the people in the background. So uh, there is a kind of expectation for Putin to appear superior to the United States. And people are looking at that. And people in the United States uh, agree with the concept a lot. So uh, who knows? And it brings to me concern that we could, uh, many people of color can be killed in the United States because of that feeling that people want to don't they want to feel equal and superior in the world you got to have the alphas and the alpha pluses and the betas and the gammas and epsilons and uh, and there's a and then when i look at commenters on radio or talk shows they talk that stuff up when they're referring to black lives matter you have one or two people commenting or doing something that the public doesn't like. And uh, they present it as if all people of color are doing the same thing. Though I'm concerned about that. 
And I'm sure that you guys see the same thing. And Putin is the guy that displays this dominance. Um, and we'll see what happens. But is it, uh, he is the man that's going to decide the veil of reality that we see the world through the next decade. My, my only wonder, the only thing I wonder about is whether or not, at some point, will the other the other Russian oligarchs and other powers that be within Russia come to the conclusion they've had enough, particularly if the economy there collapses. Uh, and the parallel I would draw is with Khrushchev after the Bay of Pigs. I mean, clearly that was no success for, for the Soviet Union. And then a few years later, Khrushchev is out. And I really wonder... Are you talking about the, the Bay of Pigs, or are you talking about the um, Cuban Missile, Missile Crisis? crisis? Yeah, yeah the, well, the, the, I'm sorry, the Cuban Missile Crisis, correct, correction. Yeah, the, the, the Missile Crisis, which was in many ways kind of a humiliation for the Soviet Union. And then Khrushchev is out. Yeah, I don't think know, Khrushchev would have backed down had he not been, um, you know, bracketed by people in the, you know, uh, yeah, officials in the true. Kremlin. So I, I kind of wonder whether or not a similar thing could happen here, but again, who knows? Uh, it's, it's a very different kind of game all the way around. But Putin is not a person amazing to with. Tom and I are revealing how old we are because we remember the Cuban Missile Crisis. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I know, right? <laughs> but, you know, we still have to be very cognizant and listen to what Putin is saying, because he's very determined. He has nothing to lose. Well, it's just I'm having, I'm having, a, whole. I'm having a, difficult, a difficult time as I watch this thing um, uh, accelerate. And, and uh, I, I just I wonder, where's, where's the off-ramp? Is there an off-ramp? And if not, do we just blunder into, you know, another world-involved conflict? Yeah. Well, it definitely fortifies the, the so-called conspiracy theory that the world is run by people who want to have a constant state of war because that's how they make their money. There, there doesn't seem to be any reason for us to be this involved in this. Uh, you're right. You're right. Um, this is, and kill all of those people to lay away buildings that are five and six hundred years old, seven hundred years old, to destroy that history, that culture, that things that make us human, and where all of uh, the current knowledge about who we are today emanated from in the 16th and 17th century. It's unfortunate, Henry, but. The, the reality is is that that's been going on for hundreds of years in that particular region, which is at one time was part of the Russian Empire. And well, it's Ukraine, been going on Ukrainian for hundreds of years. Ukrainian President Zelensky told CNN Friday that all of the countries of the world should be prepared for the possibility that Russian President Putin could use tactical nuclear weapons in his war on Ukraine. Zelensky mm. told CNN's Jake Tapper in an exclusive interview from the office of the president in Kiev on Friday that Putin could turn to either nuclear or chemical weapons because he does not value the <coughs> lives of the people of Ukraine. 
if Putin adds chemical and nuclear weapons to his attacks on Ukraine, what allies can he attract or retain? Mm, I don't think he'd get any allies. That's that's what I'm that that's that's what yeah. I'm saying. I well, I think it would anybody that he might have gotten support from would probably pull back. And much of what he's much of what he's doing is, seems to me to make little military sense. You know, if you want to conquer a country, you go for the military bases, the governmental buildings. But these just kind of senseless massacres of people at railroad stations or hotels and places like that makes little military sense, even from Putin's point of view, it seems to me, except to stir up more animosity for him. Well, Stalin did the same thing in 1920. Uh, uh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah. he killed uh, 20 million people. Yeah. And it's only a footnote in history. We we, we can't even find it. Right. Uh, but Zelensky was so, installed by the United States to replace a democratically elected president in the Ukraine. So somebody explain that to me. Well, uh you have to explain that to me. We, we, we engineered the replacement of the democratically elected president in Ukraine to install Zelensky in as the president. And now we're being told, you know, oh, Russia bad. I understand the argument, Russia bad. But Putin's not insane. There's a reason he's doing what he's doing, but it's, been, it's something that's been done for hundreds of years in that region. There are people in Ukraine, in eastern Ukraine, who identify themselves as Russians. They speak Russian. But they were planted they there. They under the rug. They were planted, no, they were planted there. there. The eastern part no, of the country, especially. Yeah. They've been there for yeah, generations. The but I, Ukraine I was part of Russia at one time, Henry. Okay. You have to look at history. Well, and, We're being and, told... We're being told stuff that gins up this public emotion of, oh my God, we have World War III because Putin's crazy and he's insane and he's going and just slaughtering people. I don't think Putin's crazy. I don't think Putin's crazy. crazy. Yeah. I think he's very determined. So, uh, if he wanted to snuff out Ukraine, he could do that in 20 minutes. Yeah. He didn't send in crack troops. I mean, the, the fact they had a 40-mile-long convoy, anybody who's been in the military can tell you that, that is, that's ridiculous. You don't do that. There was some other reason that that happened. We're not, we're not being told the real facts about what's going on there. Oh, that so I go along with drumbeat, for sure. Drumbeat, the drumbeat this... every night. I don't, I don't know if I had a chance to, to tell you this, uh, Wes, but the minute this thing started and I, I began seeing images of troops marching into parts of Ukraine, I was so reminded of the movie Wag the Dog that I went and rented and, and, Absolutely. and, and rewatched Absolutely. it. I, I rewatched it within the first, uh, I'd say, two weeks. Of what was going it even on came out that some of the it even came out that some of the video we were watching was file footage and previous things that got totally swept under the rug 
That was a that was on the news for maybe. No, I pi- I picked up on a little bit of that because it, you know it was a little while before um, they had enough crews in there to really get the kinds of pictures they were getting. Mm-hmm. And but guys, this process that Putin is using, and Wes, I'm sorry that you uh, don't agree with this. But the American people did the same kind of strategies in settling the West. They put people in certain positions in states, and they became the organizers of those states. It's a great strategy. It's worked then, it's worked in the past, and it works all the time. I mean, it Unless works you're a Native American. True. Uh, well, yeah. well, there's still, there were the Spaniards, and there were the Russians up West, and the Hispanics, uh, Spain and Portugal and all of those countries who have a vested interest in in securing part of this nation. But that was done. That was a strategy, and I I understand it, and I believe it does happen. If our country can do it, so are the likelihood of other countries can do it. And be realistic. Well, the Department of Interior announced Friday it planned to resume onshore oil and gas lease sales on federal land with a higher royalty rate for companies to pay to the federal government. The Bureau of Land Management will issue sales notices on Monday for upcoming oil and gas projects. The Biden administration had previously planned to hold the lease sale but paused it after a judge blocked the administration from using a metric to quantify the economic harm caused by the climate crisis, such as sea level rise, more destructive hurricanes, extreme wildfire seasons, and flooding. The Biden administration appealed that ruling and argued it necessitated a pause on all of the many projects in which the government used that particular analysis. The royalty rate increase comes after the Interior Department issued a controversial report last November recommending that rates be increased for more of a return to taxpayers. The newly increased royalty rate is uh, 18.75% up from uh, that of uh, 12.5%. It's the first time the federal government has ever increased what companies pay to drill for oil and gas on public land. Is this necessary in the wake of Ukraine-related Russian sanctions, and, and how will it impact administration efforts to move the U.S. away from fossil fuels and into more sustainable energy sources and technology? What a great question. I, yeah, I don't think the it's same thing. I'm going to wait for other people to comment. I was going to say, I, I can't see it having any significant immediate effect on gas prices, for one thing. And it certainly isn't going to move us away from fossil fuels, I don't think. Um, just two quick thoughts there. I don't think so either. Yeah. We're, we have this ultimatum that we're going to be, uh, by 2050, we will re- reduce 50% of the use of fossil fuels. We ain't going to come close. No, because you have all the other unintended consequences that go along with that. So we're doomed as <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm concerned that this is another one of those scenarios like I've talked about with uh, local governments and their use of uh, uh, federal funding, uh, you know, COVID relief and so on, 
is that a long-term solution is being used on a on a short-term problem. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. As I say, yeah. even even if this goes ahead, you know, how how long is it going to take before we start actually affecting gas prices? It's certainly not going to be next week or next month or six months. <coughs> But did you guys see the the article on uh, the death rate um, is declining in the United States? Yeah, from COVID. Uh, so, well, whatever's from, and I think it had to do with men. Uh, I, and maybe I'm wrong, but I read it a couple of days ago. But if if our um, population rate is in decline, um, that may not be all bad because we are probably overpopulated and the earth only can only produce so much vegetation and food for us. And uh, we could revert back to the 13th century when Europe was overpopulated and went through the same process. Then we had the Depression. And then the, the bubonic plague, and we lost 50% of the people, or more, 70%. So uh, it looks as though this is kind of a, a repeat, maybe, because we don't see the pictures not yet unfolded completely. But it's something to think about. Well, yeah, I've seen the stories of the population is plateauing in, in parts in part because of the pandemic, but also just lower birth rates and lower immigration rates in the country as well. All of those things yeah. have led to a plateauing of the population. After, for, I'm not sure that's all good, though, St. Henry. I, I, I say I, there's some real negative consequences to it, the lack of growth as well. Yes, yes there are some negatives to it. But at least we will get the strongest of the species surviving. I mean, you know, healthy people who I know it's bad to say uh, that death comes to anyone is a sad thing but but that's how nature uses it well let me it see if I squeeze one more in before the break Republican uh, Florida's Republican Governor Ron DeSantis has proposed an aggressively partisan redrawing of the state's congressional boundaries that will likely help his party pick up four seats in the U.S. House of Representatives this November. CNN's Steve Contorno reports, like previous maps submitted by DeSantis's office, the latest offering would likely reduce the number of districts where black voters are a plurality and would make it difficult for Democrats to win anywhere north of Orlando or outside major cities. State lawmakers are set to meet for a special session next week that will uh, likely see the map's final approval. Is this significant in the upcoming midterm election in determining who has a majority in the next Congress? I think oh, the I Democrats think so, yeah. are losing the black vote in record numbers. You know, but it's not going to take very many a shift of very many seats to, to shift the power in the House, Be and just a couple in Florida can make a difference. For one thing, that's only one state. Wes, um, you think the um, blacks are you? The Democrats are losing black votes because of uh, politics or the drawing of districts? Politics. 
I, I, I have many friends of color in the conversations that we've had about this all, all are along the same lines that, you know, you, there's only so much that you can come into my neighborhood and promise me the moon. And then once the election's over, I don't see you again until the next election cycle. And you didn't do anything. I hear that same statement from former other from every one of the people I talked with. It's, it happens year after year after year, election cycle after election cycle. And you can probably verify that. I mean, he's an outlier as a Republican, but he's a member of the black community. He's probably heard the same thing. You can't keep Yeah, I think in the final, the final analysis, you've got to deliver the goods. That much is true, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah, but don't we always uh, sort of... Um, speculate about whether Democrats are going to hang on to blacks in the next election for that very reason and then the next election comes and they do? Yeah. I think, I think this election is going to change that. You think it's this one's going to be different? The Hispanics in the Hispanic community. I think They've the key thing is going to be turnout. Community. I mean, I think this, in, in the midterm, the real key thing is who's going to turn out and who's going to stay home. That'll be a big issue. That always is. Uh, I think the Dem should kiss the house goodbye. Just my personal observation. Well, anyway, well, they barely got the Senate. Yeah, they lose uh, one seat in the Senate, and it flips. You know, with I only think a the couple Democrats are looking at becoming the Jews. I'm going to say, in the last half century, with only a few exceptions, the party in the White House has always lost substantial seats in that first midterm. So, based upon past history, it's it's not going to be a good year for Democrats, probably. Yeah, and you magnify that by the utter and the level of incompetence of the party in the White House. Of not the party, the person. That just mag that's like throwing gasoline on the fire. Uh, if I were in the Democrat Party, I would be worried about becoming the Whigs of the 21st century. I kind of wonder whether both parties are going to face a restructuring. I think you're seeing the Republicans as well right now. And I really wonder, in, in, in a decade, are we going to see a very different, maybe the same labels will still stick around, but I can see both parties being very different than what they are now in terms of the the makeup of, of their constituency, maybe some other policies as well. So I think they've we're seeing a, a big shift in both parties. They've done it to themselves, both parties. They have, they have gotten so big and so powerful and so intrusive that they no longer represent the principles of the party that they say they represent. It's all about the money. It's all about the power. It's all about, you know, how much can we manipulate the process. And, uh, I agree with you. I, I don't have much to say about it, but I agree with you. But also, guys, it's what the young people believe who have gained in a vis uh, 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 gained a position from their parents, the older mm -hmm. generation. They want to break away. They want to do something different. They want to believe in same-sex marriages and all that stuff. You've seen this evolve for the last 10 to 20 years. Well, uh, on that note, they have, 
on that note, Henry, we have to take a short break. We'll be Thank back you. with the uh, with the X Files. Very often, the X Files start with uh, <laughs> a man in Florida, but uh, <laughs> today we're going to be talking about some things in Michigan in the uh, in the X Files. So uh, we'll let our broadcast partners squeeze in a few words, and uh, we'll be right back. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Loan Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan, Flipflip Technology, Mark Community College, Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon, they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work, and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, Visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom It's Dana. Dana? Something must be wrong. She never calls. Dana? What's wrong? Take this down. She's stranded on the side of the road. I'm not. She needs us to send her an Amazon gift card. I don't. And she'll use it to pay the tow truck driver. I won't. Mom, Dad, that's not me. 
It's a scam. Scam artists will call, text, or email people trying to get them to buy a gift card from Amazon or some other company, and then ask for the gift card number over the phone. Remember, gift cards are for gifting, not for paying people. If someone asks for payment using a gift card from Amazon, Target, or some other store, it's a scam. Hang up or delete the message. These scammers are awful. Wish they'd pretend to be her brother sometimes. It'd be nice to hear from him. For more tips on avoiding scams, visit michigan.gov AG for your connection to consumer protection. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back to Armchair (coughs) Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. To my uh, favorite part as we get into the final segment of today's edition of uh, Armchair Politics and the Tom Sumner Program. Those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. And as I mentioned before the break, uh, they very often start with a man in Florida. (laughs) But today... We're going to uh, take a look at a couple of X-Files that uh, made their way into Michigan. A kindergartner brought in an alcoholic margarita mixed drink into a Livonia, Michigan school for snack time and shared the drink with multiple classmates, according to Fox 2 in Detroit. The Grand River Academy student brought in a four-pack of Jose Cuervo pre-mixed margaritas, according to the report. During snack time, the drink was poured in Dixie cups, and multiple students had a drink, the report said. One mother said her child had four to five sips, thinking it was just juice. The mother said her daughter felt woozy and a little dizzy afterward. (laughs) The, The girl poured it in her cup, and she drank it, and the girl ended up telling her what it is. And she went and told the teacher, there is liquor in this cup, and the teacher gave her a funny face, the mother told the news station. According to the report, school called Poison Control when it learned what happened. The school also contacted the parents to let them know they were all physically okay and that it would be disciplining the student if necessary, the report said. While we try to keep an eye on everything our students bring to school, that's simply not possible, the school said in a statement. It's unfortunate that these types of adult beverages can be easily mistaken for child-friendly drinks. (laughs) Would this have been, I I don't know, maybe a little more appropriate for Cinco de Mayo? Yeah, yeah, I think so. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Makes grade school a lot more fun. <laughs> what, what grade was this? How these kids? Uh, let me see. Um, third grade. It, it sounded like it was third grade, but a couple of comments made yeah. it sound like it might have been even younger. Uh, yeah. It That's was. Funny. It was snack time, and 
I don't remember snack follow, time. Followed by nap time. That's more like kind of yeah. kindergarten or first grade, I would think. I would, I'm guessing. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't followed quickly by nap time. Yeah. I don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember uh, my snack times when I was a kid having a chaser. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> Well, police are investigating the theft of a seven-foot-tall metal Sasquatch lawn ornament from a home in southern Michigan. The item, crafted from sheet metal, was stolen from a home in St. Joseph County's Park Township on or after March 22nd, Michigan State Police said. It has a rusty brown color with various sharp edges to resemble the fur of the mythical ape-like Bigfoot. It appeared the Sasquatch was cut away from a steel post with a pair of bolt cutters or a similar instrument, police said. A white panel van with dark driver and passenger side windows was observed parked in the area on March 22nd, police said. Is this a case of Bigfoot hunters running amok? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yes. Uh, taking it too seriously. Mm. I did. Did I, Paul? I don't know if I if I brought this up on uh, uh, on the show or not before, but I, I happened to come across on one of the cable channels uh, a show uh, about hunting Bigfoots. You know, a, a searching for yeah. Bigfoot kind of show, and it was a series, and they would go to different parts of the country. They did one in the UP where they were looking for Bigfoot in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. You know what they were using for bait? Um, Worms. Pasties. I'll go say pasties. (laughs) 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 Burner's chasers. There you go. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Of course, if they'd have been down in the Detroit area, they could have had a margarita with their pasties. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, that wraps it up for today's edition of Armchair Politics and the Tom Sumner Program. And uh, I want to say thanks to Wes. Wes, it's always great when you're here. Thank you, Tom. Uh, www.conventionofstates.com. Get the plug in there. Hey, there you go. And, uh, and of course, Paul and, uh, and Henry, it's, it's always such a treat. Paul Rosicki and uh, Henry Hatter are roundtable regulars. Thank you, guys. Good to be here, and we'll Thank see you, you later time. this afternoon. That's right. I'm going to go ahead and uh, jump in a little plug for that. Um, let's see. Yeah, we got a little celebration going on a little later today at uh, from 4 to 8 p.m. This afternoon, Wednesday, April 20th, we'll be at the White Horse to kick off the uh, 15th uh, year of doing the Tom Sumner program. We're calling it the 15th Anniversary Listener Appreciation Party, and I will be there along with uh, a number of other people Um including MCPG, who's uh, my favorite Oakland County activist. And uh, she's going to MC and, and help out this afternoon. In fact, she's she's been instrumental in, in booking some people on the show and acting as sort of an associate uh, 
producer, if you will. But we're launching the 15th year of what I like to call Civilized Talk Radio, the Tom Sumner program. And listeners, guests, and donors are all encouraged to help us celebrate the show's past and reignite its future. Um, I've been giving it a lot of thought, and I think it's time to return the Tom Sumner program to its pre-pandemic excellence. And I hope people will help help me kick that off, and we'll talk about some of the ways that we might uh, be able to do that and, and bring some of the fun back, the live music and, and live political roundtables and debates and some more... Uh, some more local attention so please feel free to join us this afternoon there's going to be pizza it's on us and um should be uh should should be a good time and and a good way to kick off the next year of uh, doing yep, look forward to it program. anyway yes. we got about two minutes left any final thoughts anybody like I well, said, I'm looking, for, looking again, forward to kicking off the 15th year. It'll, it'll be a nice, nice afternoon. And I want to thank Wes Whitaker again for his yes. excellent presentation. Always good, always thought-provoking, always creeps a spark. <laughs> that we. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that. Thank you, Wes. Great to have you here, Wes. I appreciate you guys. I love being part of the conversation. Anytime. Well, be careful what you wish for, Wes, because uh, I will call on you again. <laughs> uh, I'm here. I'm here for you, Tom. I, I love. I love your program. Thanks. I appreciate that. The uh, uh, let's see. Uh, any anything that we didn't get to uh, today, Paul? I, I'm kind of Hi. looking over your note to me. Oh, you know what we didn't talk about is the. Uh, the Grand Rapids shooting, and I, I really, oh yeah, I, I yeah. don't want to say too much about it um, because I really don't have a lot of information. And uh, just what I've seen, I've seen just the video I've seen and the response to it and all. It's in some ways, unfortunately, it's so much like so many other incidents we've seen in the last number of years. So I, yeah, I don't have anything dramatically different myself to add to it. I don't think. Um, Oh, I also want to say thanks to um, Ali uh, Nurani. I don't know if you had a chance to hear any of that. Ali is the uh, president and chief executive of the National Immigration Forum in D.C. and the author uh, of a new book called Crossing Borders, The Reconciliation of a Nation of Immigrants. And uh, he was on the show uh, this morning during the nine o'clock hour yeah. before uh, before armchair politics anyway that wraps it up for today's edition it's time to head on over to the i usually say head down the hall to the living room but i'll be uh heading over to the white horse in a little while to start kicking off uh the next year and and hopefully some new some new things going with the show sounds good all right thanks guys that's four o'clock Yep. That's it. Later Good evening. At the White Horse. See you later. All right. Thank you. Yeah, later. Take care, guys. Bye. That's Smoking George Winters tickling the ivories, and uh, hopefully I'll see you at the White Horse this afternoon. Otherwise, good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show. 
and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.